Hello and welcome to another episode of the Land Party Lawyers Podcast. My name is Steve Blickensturfer and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Brown. To our regular listeners, welcome back. And to our new listeners, on this podcast, we tackle issues at the intersection of video games, law, and business. Through debate, discussion, and interviews, we focus on the legal issues in particular and offer our takeaways and thoughts. But remember, nothing we say is legal advice. Today, we're going to be talking about the concept of government regulation of video games. Nick, when, I, when I'm talking about this government regulation of video games, could you maybe give us a lay of the land of what that might mean? Absolutely. So we're going to be looking at this topic from a global perspective, not uh, from the perspective of any one country. And we're not today going to be talking about laws of general ac- applicability, like intellectual property laws or employment laws that may af- affect video game companies just by virtue of them being companies that create things. Instead, today we're going to talk about issues where the, uh, a government introduces a law or regulation that regulates video games specifically, and we're going to explore different approaches to that regulation like what type of games are allowed or how games are allowed to be enjoyed or whether particular in-game activities are permitted, like, for example, loot boxes or microtransactions. Although we have separate episodes on those, uh, which we recommend you take a look at. Today, we're going to focus on other elements of the regulatory scheme. So uh, the first, and you know, we're going to start with the biggest one, which is countries that have banned particular games entirely. Steve, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, it, it doesn't get any more clear than when a government just straight up bans a video game. And there are a few of them that banned them uh, last year, actually. I guess it was a popular year for banning video games and, and a few uh, specific ones. Um, so let's start with the country of Nepal which in 2019 banned a game called Player Unknown, Players Unknown Battlegrounds, or PUBG, PUBG. which was made right. by uh, South Korea's Blue Hole. And the government telecommunications regulatory body uh, cited concerns that that particular game was distracting children from schoolwork and other duties, uh, resulting in violent behavior from addicted players. Uh, when pressed for specific incidents or proof, none was offered. Uh, but ultimately, that, yeah, ultimately, was not able to produce the evidence that no one on the planet has found yet that violent behavior is increased by video games. Well, we'll put a pin in that for later because uh, that theme <laughs> might be coming back. Uh, but this ban in particular was lifted later by Nepal's Supreme Court under its constitutional guaranteed freedom of expression. So that's Nepal, uh, but it doesn't stop there, Nick. Iraq also banned uh, a specific game, this time PUBG, and also Epic's Fortnite, a very, very popular game, which um, uh, many people know or their children probably know it. Uh, This particular ban was voted on by the Iraqi parliament, and they cited the negative influence of these particular games on the young in a country long plagued by real-life bloodshed. Uh, which, as you can imagine, right, cause, is because legitimate... these are the only two violent games, uh, right? Right, that are I, out there. Right. Well, they are among the more popular ones, uh, but it wasn't just the parliament in that country that got on the bandwagon. Uh, influential religious leaders in the country also called on the government to ban PUBG, saying it's not a game for intelligence or a military game that provides you with the correct way to fight. Because Nick, you know, that's the only reason why you play video games. So that you can yeah, learn. I was gonna say <laughs> the correct way to fight, Comet. They might have been watching me. Uh, they'd probably be right with that. But 
I don't know. Some people uh, are pretty strategic about it, but didn't didn't Jordan also uh, ban PUBG? I mean, this one game is getting banned all around the world, right? Right. Pub- that it's just getting singled out left and right. Uh, Jordan in 2019 also banned PUBG. This time they cited, in addition to you know all the other stuff that was already mentioned, they represented they misrepresented a world health organization study as classifying PUBG as a violent game leading to addiction and social isolation and again when reporters pressed for this they were unable to find any such report so hey well you know uh i will say last year PUBG hit it big and this year we're all socially isolated so maybe maybe they were onto something yeah exactly you know maybe jordan's right i i you know uh the verdict's out on that. So, uh, but that's not that. That doesn't end our list of countries to ban individual games. India joins the ranks. They uh, had regional and temporary bans in March of 2019, citing uh, PUBG's again the purported neg- negligent negligent here I am neg- negative influence of these video violent video games on the health, culture, and security of their society. Um, and this is this one's in particularly notable if you're found playing the games. Uh, when the ban went into effect, you could be prosecuted under the penal code that covers disobedience to an order lawfully promulgated by a public servant. I can't get any wow. more general than that. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, just a, a side note, there are concrete reports disputing the link between video games and violent behavior. And and now the World Health Organization, who is actually embracing gaming as a way to stay isolated, as you mentioned, Nick, and to stop the spread of COVID-19, which we're all currently undergoing. Uh, so interesting how things turn around. Yeah, that was a pretty, pretty quick 180. Uh, but, you know... Not all games, or I'm sorry, not all countries are outright banning games. A lot of countries, they are and have for for a long time now, been regulating the player use or consumption of games without outright banning them. And so we're going to tell you about a couple examples of those. The first one is one that a lot of people think of, which is Germany. Uh, Germany has a set of what are called youth protection laws, which historically were among the strictest in the world, although... We've seen a trend where they've kind of relaxed since the 80s and 90s when they were in their heyday. Um, and so what did they do? They, they you know, uh, prohibited a bunch of violence and graphic content. And so to get around these restrictions, you know, game companies still wanted to sell their product. And so they did things like change the color of blood from green or from red to green. So when you shoot someone, they're spouting this green stuff or change the game such that you fight aliens instead of humans. They'll remove the assets for human enemies and replace them with aliens or something else. And you, you can imagine, you know, for a game company, it could be as little as changing the skins or, or some few lines of code, or it could be a big overhaul, uh, depending on how much of that is part of the core game mechanic. So Right, and some of the games, uh, as a result, they never made it past the filters, though, and they were actually banned in Germany. Um, and it wasn't just fringe games. We're talking classics like Wolfenstein, Doom, Quake, and, and Duke Nukem, uh, household titles. 
And so what we saw was that in the 90s, the industry shifted to a more self-regulation model. So here's a a very high-level look at how it looks, um, how it works. Keep in mind, we don't practice in Germany, uh, and I don't speak German. So this is a little bit of a translation, but I think it'll give you a flavor of how it works. Basically, the, the baseline rule was that you couldn't distribute a game in Germany for a while without a particular rating from the regulatory body which uh, is abbreviated USK because I don't speak German. You say my last name so well, though, so I figured you probably speak German. We'll call it the uh, the Blickensdurfer uh, body at, now on, <laughs> since I can pronounce that. Uh, but but the way it works is is the government cannot ban a game that has been rated by the USK. But at the same time, the USK cannot rate certain games based on a certain factors that um, that you know are governed by law. So factors that go into games not getting a rating, these include things like gratuitous high, uh, violence, high frequency of killings, or extreme violence against human enemies. Um, not- notably, uh, zombies were at one time treated like humans. So games where you don't actually fight the living people, like Dead Rising or Killing Floor, were not rated by the USK. That doesn't make any sense. Everybody knows that zombies are the undead. They are the opposite of humans. Well, you know, sometimes I guess the message takes a while to get through. Uh, One adaptation that we saw, kind of like replacing enemies with aliens, was on the other end. Replace enemies with robots. Who gets mad if you shoot a robot, right? And so that's what they ended up doing for the German versions of Half-Life and Command & Conquer 2. Uh, you know, large uh, following games. And so what this did is it eventually resulted in in kind of a predictable pattern regarding what this rating body would actually rate. And game companies found it very helpful over time with that precedent uh, that allowed them to figure out what might be, you know, legit going forward. And what we've seen is this is how it still works in Germany, although the rating system has loosened a bit over time. One famous example is that for a long time, there was understandably a zero tolerance policy on Nazi symbols in games in Germany. Uh, but now it's been relaxed to the point where, not that it's, it's you know, free reign, but it's possible that games um, with Nazi symbols can get through the ratings filter. Games are more looked at on a case-by-case basis. You know, for example, it would be really hard to play Wolfenstein uh, without, you know, the, the Nazis are a big part of the plot of that game. So... Um, you know, they're, they're, they're still dealing with that and it's, it's developing over time. Just to jump in there, Nick, the, this actually reminds me of something we have here in the U.S. If you're a game company and you need to put a privacy policy to comply with, you know, privacy laws that require privacy notices or the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, COPA, the industry has a regulator or is self-regulating through the uh, Entertainment Software Ratings Board, the ESRB. And they have created basically a structure through which it, it's like a safe harbor. If you go to them and you get a ESRB privacy certified privacy policy, you are effectively going to check off the boxes that the regulator is looking for. And you have like this safe harbor for any alleged violations just by using that that approved privacy notice. So it's, it's like working with the German regulator. The, the regulatory body uh, and the government regular won't necessarily go after you. So anyway, just reminded me of that. Wanted to mention that. Yeah, no, that's that's good stuff. Um, there was one thing, though, that I wanted to mention about this German system, which is remarkable to me, which is that uh, as game distribution and digital has grown 
you know, ubiquitous around the, the world, a loophole in the German system has grown, and it's grown so big that it risks swallowing the entire rule. And what is that loophole? If that's that the youth protection laws apply only to games that are sold on physical media. Wow. So I don't know about you, but I don't buy a lot of physical games nowadays. I, uh, I struggle to come up with five that I've bought in the last 10 years. And they just don't make them anymore. I mean, there are, there are a few outliers, but that's just not the norm anymore. It's all digital. Yeah. It's, you know, I, game buyers are usually not throwing away packaging because nowadays, or at least PC games, uh, they're almost all digital or at least have a digital offering. And most people find that more convenient. But what does that mean for Germany? It means that online media does not require a rating. And so a lot of, um, you know, the, the products that would be outlawed if they were in physical get around it by being digital. Nonetheless, uh, a lot of these companies are still having their games rated uh, voluntarily, uh, even though they don't have to, just because they want to play safe and they want to, you know, be seen as doing the right thing and complying. And even that way, even if they're kind of afraid that, I don't know, they've got an edge case, they might or might not make it over the hump. If they make the changes that are going to be, uh, you know, considered acceptable by the regulatory body, then they can save themselves a lot of trouble. And so we've seen that that happening. Now, so I think we've covered Germany pretty well. So I think it's time to yeah, move I think on. So. Uh, and then there's China, right? Uh, I think that everyone was kind of waiting for when when are we going to talk about China? Is That's China the on one. the list? It's a big one, right? Yeah. It's it's the home of of Tencent. If you most of you have probably heard of Tencent. If you haven't, they own 100% uh, Riot, makers of... You've heard of Tencent, whether you know it or not. Right, yeah. Inevitably, one of these companies you've heard of, they own Riot, the League of Legends maker. They are an investor in Activision Blizzard, in Ubisoft, in Epic. They also are investor in the Chinese streaming platforms, Huya and Douyu. I don't know. I don't. I, I've not been on those platforms, but it's the equivalent of Twitch and Mixer, or you know, the other bigger streaming platforms in the U.S. Um, also in in China is NetEase. Uh, may not be as as well known as as Tencent, but that's uh, that's in the on-demand music streaming service space. So, uh, suffice it to say, a lot of companies there. Uh, it's a big industry. Chinese game. China's game market was the largest in the world in 2019. It had a market of $36.5 billion, and that's compared to the U.S., which was $35.5 billion uh, per, per Nuzu reports. And, and that's, not, um, that's not much of a difference, actually. I, I did think it might be a bigger gap, but um, it just goes to show you China is a big market, and game companies want to be there, right? So as of 2019, uh, the industry purportedly was 30600000000 million players and 200 public game companies for a total of 6,000 total game companies that wow. were in China, which is just going to show you how big that, that industry is in China. It's also famous for its internet sensors, the Great right. Firewall of China, uh, which blocks individuals like PewDiePie and companies such as Facebook and Google. Yeah, and so the, the reputation uh, of China's game censorship re regime uh, has actually possibly gotten even bigger than the regime itself. I know from, you know, being in online communities over the years and, and talking to people that it's commonly believed that China actually prohibits certain things in their games. For example, 
like skeletons in games. Um, the people will routinely point to famous examples like World of Warcraft or Dota 2, where the version of the game that exists everywhere else in the world has a skeleton. And then you show up on the Chinese version and the skeleton's been replaced with something else, either, you know, some other ghoulish looking guy or, or something else that's not a skeleton. People have attributed this to uh, a ban uh, in, in the censorship rules on skeletons in particular. You could say it. It was, it was Reddit. If it's on Reddit, it must be true. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely, the rumor exists on Reddit, but it's not confined to Reddit. Uh, but the truth is, there is no ban on skeletons in China. Plenty of games in China include skeletons. Um, but what you're going to see is that the censor censorship regime there is very complicated, and it's very much left up to interpretation. And on top of that, you're seeing additional confusion because, like we mentioned a minute ago, we're seeing a lot of self-censorship by gaming companies that are trying to play it safe. Uh, and so it leads to a lot of misunderstandings. So uh, China has a game approval process and a game censorship process. And I'm just going to go through the list of things that can run a game afoul of, of uh, what China's regime thinks is okay. I'm envisioning very clear lines, uh, un unambiguous terms, so you clearly know what you can and cannot do. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Go, it, it's go all black and white. Go, go for it. So one of them is actually kind of black and white, although anyone who listened to our Loot Box uh, inaugural episode knows that even this is up for debate. Gambling-related content or game features. Not clear. Uh, I, not clear. No, definitely not clear. I, I, this, this particular issue is getting much fuzzier as we go along, but go ahead. That, I mean, I, I get it. Maybe out of the whole list, this is the clearest, which means we're off to a bad start. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, in a few items, this is going to look pretty pretty clear to you, okay. I'm thinking. Uh, the next one's also relatively clear. Uh, anything that violates China's constitution, that kind of makes sense, right? right. Anti-constitutional behavior, okay. And then, then we're getting a little farther away. Anything that threatens China's national unity, sovereignty, or territorial integrity. Okay. There's the next one, anything that harms the nation's reputation, security, or interests. All right. Uh, we're only at four out of like 10. So uh, you can also get your game banned or censored for anything that instigates racial or ethnic hatred or harms ethnic traditions and cultures. Okay. Uh, some of that makes sense. But I don't know about what harming an, an ethnic tradition would be in a video game, nonetheless. Uh, it goes further. Anything that violates China's policy on religion by promoting cults or superstitions. Borderlands is out. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, anything that promotes or incites obscenity, drug use, violence, or gambling. Violence being the catch-all uh, because a lot of games contain violence. Regulators yeah. can say that, that they're promoting it. Uh, it goes farther. Anything that harms public ethnic ethics or China's culture and traditions. That's the one, by the way, that a lot of people think that the uh, skeleton ban, purported skeleton ban, falls under. Yeah. Uh, culture and traditions. Um, there's a couple more. Anything that insults, slanders, or violates the rights of others. Okay, violates the rights, yeah. Insults, I don't know. That's a little uh, harder case. And finally, the catch-all, other content that violates the law. Okay, yeah, so that's very what clear. Is, <laughs> yeah, what is, the, what is the point of going all through these? Not that you need to memorize them, but as you can see, this is a long list that is wide open to interpretation. Right. 
depending on what angle you look at it, I bet you can get almost anything under this list. So let's add to the complexity a bit and talk about the regulatory process by which games get approved, right? There's actually a limited number. I like to give Steve the boring topic. Yeah, no, uh, of course. So I'm going to yeah, put you to sleep. Ahead. I'm going to put you to sleep for a second. <laughs> I'm going to try not to actually. Uh, so there are a, there's a limit on the number of games that can be approved each year. And the the, regula the regulations have tightened the restrictions on games with gambling and, and the stuff that you mentioned above, uh, right? So China is actually famous in 2018 for actually stopping entirely the games approval process. This actually began in around April 2018 and uh, reportedly stopped around December. So you can imagine pretty much- a complete market disruption. Right, so the entire year pretty much of, of 2018, no games were getting approved. No games were going through. Uh, so uh, even AAA titles like Monster Hunter World uh, was purportedly, you know, uh, they have Tencent, who was a very large game company, had to abort its launch of that title uh, due to the violence in the game and also just the fact that none of these games were getting approved for, for release in 2018. Violence uh, that is pretty much generally directed at mythical creatures. Yeah. So the, the, key, the key regulator for this uh, that's that's looking at all these factors, including violence against mythical creatures, is the State Administration of Press and Publications, or SAP for short. And SAP was formed as part of a, a government restructuring of a large organization, the State Administration of Radio, Film, and Television, uh, and, and is, is now in charge of, of these game approvals. So in 2019, new regulations were announced, and, and among other things, Chinese publishers were encouraged to self-regulate and promote titles with China's core values in mind, uh, while avoiding misrepresentation of history and politics and, and law. So, bring easy, it, yeah, totally. So let me give you an example: uh, PUBG that we've referred to previously in this episode. They were rebranded as the Game of Peace as a result of this, and Game of Peace has that is, that is brilliant. By the way, I just my hats off to them. Uh, a game called Battlegrounds, where all you do is literally run around and shoot people, uh, renamed Game of Peace, I, I give that two thumbs up. Right. And it, it, it even has the official support of the People's Liberation Army Air Force, right? You fly uh, PLAAF planes and, you know, they, they have their military hardware in there. Um, and, and the most interesting thing, you'll love this, Nick, when a bullet hits another player, sparks are seen instead of uh, the green blood from the Chinese PUBG mobile version. Uh, Peace, peaceful sparks. Peaceful sparks. And, and when players, yeah, players uh, are shot, they no longer die, uh, but they wave their hand goodbye and disappear. Uh, and that's the peace uh, of it Thank all. Thank you for so. shooting me. <laughs> Uh, these new regulations, they also require a business plan with a revenue approximation, which actually is probably pretty helpful. Uh, but uh, this particular country requires it. Others won't. And uh, But that's just some of what these new regulations in China require. But there are more, Nick, and I think you're going to yeah, cover those. So they're not just, uh, you know, the Chinese government doesn't just wait for a game to get approved and be released and then it never looks at it again. They're also watching and are, you know, still censoring games that have previously been approved based on subsequent changes either in the world or to the game. And we've recently seen a, a very uh, conspicuous example of this. Uh, everyone knows that the world is undergoing this coronavirus uh, outbreak that's leading to this COVID-19 illness. Well, after 
the illness started spreading in China, where I understand uh, it, it spread the most first. Uh, the Chinese government actually so, pulled— Some would say originated, Nick. Uh, yeah, some would. So the Chinese government actually pulled a game that had been out for eight years— it's called Plague Incorporated. It's a very clever little game. You actually play as the virus, and your job is to uh, infect the entire world. That's the whole point of the game. It's, 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 a, it's a clever little uh, mechanic. But the uh, Chinese government yanked the game after it had been out for eight years because they said it included illegal content. Uh, it just happened to occur right after the actual... Uh, virus started spreading and getting big and people started downloading this game and playing it it incurred a giant swell in interest even though it had been out for a long time it topped the charts in china and then the chinese government yanked it for being apparently now illegal so keep in mind uh it's not set it and forget it once it's out they they still retain the ability uh to yank it right there are legal games out there what will be the next one who knows yeah, they also uh, Chinese law also places restrictions on players. Uh, does things like limit the amount of time or times of day or types of games that can be played by minors. Uh, one big example we've seen is in 2017, Tencent began implementing restrictions for its hit mobile title Honor of Kings. I'm sure you all heard of, uh, and it limited players under the age of 12 to only one hour per day and two hours for people between 12 and 18. Uh, reminds me a little bit of the restrictions I had to deal with in my domestic household growing up, but that I found creative ways around. You said you were going to make it personal, Nick, and you made it personal. <laughs> yeah. uh, China also has a real name registration system and has have it since, had it since 2007. And basically the way it works is users are required to verify their age by registering in-game with their real name, which will check it against a government database and determine if the player is a minor. I don't know about you, but I don't play any games under my real name, uh, and, and it would be scary to do that. I think it might end up actually in some improved online behavior if people couldn't be so anonymous. But nonetheless, that's the rule in China and has been for some time. Right. Uh, they also even have regulations on the back end that ensure the database is updated and make it more difficult for minors to bypass it by just giving their buddies ID. It's interesting that that this has been out since 2007, and yet China is famously known for having, or that region is famous for having the most like um, a malicious type of gaming behavior. Right? People who are trying right. to hack games, trying to cheat at games, and that typically happens in that part of the world. So you know, w to the extent one has to do with the other, I don't know if it's helping, but you know. That's the reality over there, and as a privacy lawyer in me, kind of uh, uh, shudders to think about stuff like that. But you know, yeah, that, that's how it is so over there. The the given reasons for these types of regulations range from health reasons, like preventing myopia, because uh, apparently they're very concerned about uh, the students' eyes, uh, to quell parents' concerns with children playing mobile games without limits. And, of course, the ever-popular preventing further violence. You know, and, and not all this is bad, right? Uh, there's actually a, a publisher-driven push to create a new age rating system with four, more than two categories, right? Uh, actually, four for ages 6 and up, 12 and up, 16 and up, and 18 and up. And players determined to be younger than the age rating on a particular game would be restricted from playing entirely. Um, these types of age 
regulations are not limited to China. There's other countries that have considered or have them. Thailand, Vietnam, and South Korea also have or had laws that restrict minors of various ages from playing online games uh, between certain hours. And, and yeah, Japan- and we, we saw some uh, places in Japan proposing them too as recently as, uh, I believe, January 2020, although to my knowledge, none of those have passed yet, and they would be more locally oriented than nationally. Right. There are there are other elements to China's. We're not done with China just yet. Uh, there's actually other elements to their regulatory system as it relates to games. There's actually restrictions on streaming games for all you streamers out there. Uh, publisher-driven... Uh, this this effort is publisher driven and establishes rules for streaming game content uh, in response to the government's government's internet governance requirements. So, so in effect, um, the the game companies are trying to help the government to an extent regulate the content that's being dis- put out there, created when their games are being played. And as you can imagine, uh, the game companies have more of an ability in some ways to res- to regulate that than the government itself uh, because they're, they can maybe withdraw uh, the game from being played and, and otherwise place limits on streamers. So uh, what right. do these rules actually look like? Well, there's actually a ban of content with negative social influences, which would knock out a number of, of streams that I've seen. Uh, you can't... Vi- and, and well, this that's because you watch some weird stuff, Steve. Yeah, well, there you go. To each his own. Uh, there's also <laughs> a rule uh, not to violate the spirit of contract, which was very interesting to, to read up about. This effectively means you can't unilaterally terminate the contract or, or sign other unexcused agreements with third parties uh, during the term of a contract with a streaming platform and you can imagine uh, this kind of gets violated these days more frequently than others uh, yeah. when 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 folks are Switching flipping platforms. platforms right from from twitch to mixer to YouTube uh, if they have an ongoing contract with another platform um, and back sometimes and back right and but in, interesting in this case uh, there's actually an, an example of a Chinese streamer who once signed a contract with a rival streaming service in China while signed with a competitor resulted in a significant fine, over $7 million U.S. dollar fine uh, to the streamer, oh which is just crazy. And, and Why also, are they finding him in English, in, in American dollars? I don't know. I don't know. But I, I think we've... we've uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I, I looked up the equivalent of U.S. dollars. Uh, maybe yeah, he had I, no that, U.S. dollars. That, I don't know. <laughs> I assumed it was an equivalent. <laughs> no, it was equivalent. I'm joking. Uh, but let's... Let, I think we've... Let's... let's close the chapter on china and let's move on i think we've got time for one more country nick let's let's move on to south korea yeah love talking about south korea where i understand starcraft is the national sport and i can get behind that so uh even in south korea of course uh where gaming you know is 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 absolutely part of the culture and they lead a lot of the world in terms of developing esports and gaming and cultural norms in this area uh, they are also inter- introducing very interesting laws that regulate gaming in new ways that we haven't seen elsewhere. Uh, so, for example, they have something called the Game Industry Promotion Act, which, and this blew my mind, I had to look it up to make sure I wasn't getting trolled. It criminalizes boosting. So what is boosting if you don't play games? Boosting is something where, uh, you know, it, it some games take a long time to progress. you got to grind them. There's a whole big, long progression system. 
and people with jobs who are not quarantined at home may take a lot of time to actually get up to the point of the game where they get competitive and get exciting. And so to skip and save time, they will pay other people to play on their account and rank them up, get through the beginner stuff, get through the tutorials, get through the grinding part, so they can, at the end, just skip to the fun part where you pound on people who don't know what they're doing. I wouldn't say well, pound. Is- I would say something else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, uh, uh, whatever streams you watch, Steve, geez, let's keep that offline, okay? Okay. Um, and so, it, it blew my mind that that's actually illegal in South Korea. Over here, it's a, you know, a clever way to make money. Uh, over there, it is illegal. The punishment is a fine of up to 20 million won, which is roughly $18,000. See, see, there they find them in won, and then they... I, they, I figured uh, you were just going to jump... it over here. I figured right? you were just going to say just the punishment of $18,000. <laughs> American. American um, dollars. And, if you don't have right. it, no fine. <laughs> uh, and it also can come with a uh, prison sentence, Jeez, believe it or not. That's crazy. Which is astonishing. Uh, uh, it, it just blew my mind. I didn't believe that at first, but it, it is true. You're going to have to stop, addition, stop boosting accounts, Nick. You're going to get caught. Well, it's not illegal over here. Uh, <laughs> but so uh, also the South Korean government created the Korean Esports Association in 2000. I think we've mentioned them briefly previously when we were talking about some esports issues, but it's referred to as KESPA, K-E-S-P-A. And it is, as we understand, the first in the world, state-sponsored promotion of esports. Hand clap from 2000, by the way. This was over 20 years ago. I'm telling you, they're they're ahead of their time. Uh, They have been for a long time, and, and, you know, I don't think that's going to stop. But So what happened recently, in November of 2019, KESPA made the news because it had an investigation it conducted along with Riot, who makes uh, League of Legends, Uh, into alleged misconduct by the director and coach of a Korean League of Legends champions team. And because KESPA is a government, you know, sponsored entity, uh, Korean lawmakers chimed in and got involved themselves. And so that became a big deal. You know, we're probably a few years out, but can you imagine the United States government getting involved in investigating, uh, you know, PUBG tournaments. No, no but uh, it's, it's hard to imagine over here. But it's happening over there, which is kind of the point. It's crazy. Which means, yeah, you can expect it here in a few years. Uh, <clears throat> you heard it here first, folks. Uh, in addition, Kespa does not tolerate match fixing. It's a big deal over there. Um, one per- particularly big uh, match fixing event that we we all remember involved StarCraft II. Uh, it, it was uh, there was a player got just routinely regarded as one of the greatest players in the world, easily the best Zerg player, a 15 year old named Life, um, and he was actually in, involved along with another player called Bibiyong, who actually got prosecuted for match fixing StarCraft. Uh, I don't remember if it was StarCraft or StarCraft 2. I think it was StarCraft 2. I think it was 2. Yeah. But they were prosecuted for receiving money for the match fixing along with everyone else that was involved. Life got prison time, a three-year suspension, and a big fine. It's a big deal, man. They take it very, very seriously. Right. The integrity of esports is a big deal, um, and we may talk about that in the future. But uh, they have laws in place in South Korea to protect against that, right? And send a message. If anything, that was really about sending a message. So why don't we shift gears and talk about some trends that we see through all this, right? There's inevitably a law we, we skipped 
a jurisdiction that we didn't cover, please forgive us. We're just trying to give you the highlights. Uh, but we do you mean see there are more than four countries in the world. There are more than four, uh, only a few more. Um, but we want we see some patterns between all this, and and I was just going to highlight a few of those. There's a there's a growing concern over violent violence in games in particular parts of the world, and I don't suspect we're going to see um, a slowing down of regulations. It's never going to go away. Right. That's that's kind of been a consistent theme. I Despite feel like the lack of any evidence to support it. Right. Well, you know, I I, I feel like that's not going to go away. If it's increased, I feel like it's increased. 2019 was almost a watershed in in terms of countries just banning games. Games. Um, so I, I, I suspect more will get on the bandwagon in some some way, shape, or form. And also, um, expansion in the regulation of, of digital offerings. We're seeing that increased frequency of discussion on loot box regulations. We haven't really touched upon that in this episode because we've talked about it in others. But I suspect we're going to see more about regulating the microtransactions and th- different ways you sell and monetize games. I feel like that's going to be another, this is going to increasingly result in new laws in new places. Right. And not just the existence of microtransactions, which everyone already knows about, but in particular, uh, the regulation of data and transactions that are aimed at or involve children. Uh, We've seen a lot about this. We've talked about it in some other podcasts where this has come up recently in the UK. It's come up recently in Australia. And it's also come up recently in the United States, where uh, the United States has proposed but not passed federal uh, uh, legislation that would heavily regulate loot boxes and microtransactions throughout the country, which would be the first of its kind uh, if it ever passes. No, To our knowledge, there's no other law, uh, federal law in the United States that directly affects video games and loot boxes like this one would. But it's, it shows you that there's a trend that uh, lawmakers are taking note as people that grew up playing games are now themselves growing up and having children. As they're growing up and becoming business leaders, their community leaders, their legislators, these issues are on their mind because they've grown up with them. Whereas uh, maybe a generation ago, there was more of a divide and and less of a, a common understanding. Right. So it's a little surprise uh, then, Nick, that game companies have a lot, a lot to consider when releasing their games in both at home and in foreign jurisdictions. Absolutely. You know, there are teams and, and lawyers familiar with laws in various parts of the world uh, that help game companies get the required approvals and ratings for games. We've actually had uh, experience helping game companies do business in China, for example, which is a highly, as we've discussed, complex um, The crown jewel market. Yeah, you know, complex system over there. Uh, but it, you know, boiling it down, it's, it comes down to understanding the landscape, working with the regulators to get deals done, which in turn often requires having relationships with boots on the ground in those particular jurisdictions, and then a general awareness of the differing regulatory schemes. Because you know, knowing what you can and cannot do in a certain area, if that's your target, you might not be able to design an entire game. Uh, not, based on the not regulations. Not to mention how these things change over time, right? Like we mentioned earlier, uh, what South Korea does in year X, America often does in year X plus 10 or 15. So uh, as as these things are, a lot of this legislation is leading overseas, don't think for a minute that we're safe from it over here in the United States so that it'll never make its way over here. It may be in a different form due to certain regulatory or legislative or cultural differences, 
But, you know, we've already seen this, this legislation proposed in the United States and hasn't passed yet, but it's not going to be the only one. Uh, 10, 10 to 15 years from now, you may see things like we're seeing in South Korea, where the government's involved in the national esports tournaments. Right. Uh, keep, stay tuned and, and keep, keep a watch on how this stuff changes over time. And hopefully uh, we here in the U.S., as, as we move up and, and try to regulate in this area, we can learn from some of the lessons uh, that... Uh, the early adopters had to deal with. Right. And, you know, if anything, just having a, a global awareness of this whole thing helps, right? When we do hear about proposed legislation or regulation, we can say, oh, well, you know, hey, it didn't work in X jurisdiction. So that's that's one thing, right? And another, just to be clear, this entire episode is all about countries regulating games, not necessarily bodies that were setting standards or regulations like we're seeing an increased activity when it comes to regulating esports from an industry standpoint not necessarily a government standpoint that's what makes south korea so special in that regard but i digress in any event i think that covers today's episode nick be sure to check out our other episodes from seasons one and two of the podcast you can connect with us on instagram twitter our website, landpartylers.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts and comments and opinions about the topics we cover. So if you have any, please reach out. Yes, please keep sharing them. Good. Uh, and Nick, unless you have anything else to add. That's all I got. Everybody, uh, please be safe, be careful, and play some video games. Game on. Game on. You've been listening to the Land Party Lawyers podcast series with Steve Blickensturfer and Nick Brown. To learn more about our e-gaming and esports practice, visit carltonfields.com. This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields. Thanks for listening.